Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and an episode of Catching Up. What is Catching Up? Short form interview series. Normally it's with someone who, very famous, very well known, Indy 500 winner, champion of something. Not exactly falling in that category here, but this is my champion of Formula One coverage and racer magazine brotherhood. That being Chris Medlin. You might have seen his beautiful sparkly face season one of drive to survive was it mate i don't know what you did to piss him off i don't know if we saw you in uh subsequent seasons but all kidding aside man that racing series you cover it sure is in the news every day the on track part chris the racing sometimes gets forgotten because karen horner and karen wolf and all kinds of people are constantly sniping at each other so i figure you're coming out of qatar here might be worth doing a bit of a catch-up on the season that you have witnessed so far and how we've gotten to a place where, is it wrong to say bitchiness is kind of the number one output product of Formula One right now? So why don't we talk about that, Chris? I think uh, there's been a lot of pent-up tension uh, within Christian Horner waiting for the chance to fight with Mercedes properly and to... Uh, try and win another championship because Horner got used to it and Red Bull got used to it uh, by the end of 2013, won four straight um, with a dominant team. And then suddenly you get 2014 happens, Mercedes are just all conquering and and no one can get anywhere near them. And since that moment, Horner's been kind of waiting for, you know, in his mind, Red Bull are still a world championship winning team. They just need to get the car to let them show it and, and couldn't quite get there, be it the car or the engine package. But, uh, yeah, it's what seven years of waiting. It's finally come to fruition that they're in that fight, and he's able to um, really kind of go toe to toe with Toto Wolf and say, "My team's better than your team." So uh, it's been a long time waiting, and I think it's just kind of exploded in that sense. And then Toto's been very defensive because obviously he's been used to winning for so long as well, and uh, suddenly has someone coming and rattling his cage. So uh, yeah, both of them are dealing with pressure that they haven't had for quite a long time, and. Uh, one should have been happier to have it than the other. I think Christian should have been a lot happier to have it than Toto is, but uh, it didn't take long. I think the the fact that Mercedes are so tough to beat and it could go right to the wire and, and Red Bull could lose out. I think it, as that looks like an actual possibility, uh, Christian's really started to crack recently. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Most of the time over the last few weeks has been spent looking for documents and summons and investigations and arguments off the track rather than anything that's actually happening on it. So for what you and I do, Chris, that is reporting of motor racing, bit of a well-known, I don't know if I want to say processional thing, but free practice one, so-and-so's fastest, so-and-so blows up, we write the stories, there's a flow to the average race weekend that common. Uh, post-race, usually a little bit of drama to talk about, someone drove into me, someone blocked, whatever it is, right? kind of know that flow tell us about what has appeared to be half race reporting not i wouldn't say other half being paparazzi but it does feel more like lifestyle drama tmz aspect to so much of what we see coming out uh from the reporting from the average race weekend or in between and I don't say that in a critical way, like you and your other your other Formula One reporters are intentionally going for salacious items. It just seems like there's such a 
constant and high level of drama and whatnot going on that I, I almost wonder if you and the other F1 reporters are like, could we just have a normal weekend? <laughs> could we just have someone on pole and then someone win and we all go home and there's really nothing else to chase down? Is that a feeling? Is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly after three races in three weekends, it's just been so full on and every weekend seems to try and outdo the next one with a storyline that's not really on track um or you know some of them were on track ones but you're kind of used to those so it's kind of doubling the workload and it's um it's been yeah it's been entertaining but it's been tiring i, I think a lot of it it's funny you mentioned netflix but we've now got used to um the, the real interest off the track in the personalities and in these people uh, and it, it brought a huge new fan base towards formula one and those people involved are then seeing the value of that and i don't actually think it's necessarily that they're then playing up more they might be a little but i think it's also that they're just feeling like well i can be authentic and people relate or, and people will like it or they won't like it but there's a market for this you know there's space for me to be myself and be open and um honest i guess uh, even if it's going to be damaging at times so um we've seen more of that um i mean we go to qatar last weekend and uh netflix were with both red bull and mercedes which was perfectly timed for uh christian and toto to be in a press conference together and start a bit of sniping and then have this review that was going on about the way that the racing had been handled in uh, brazil and whether it was going to be looked at again or not and maybe max would get a penalty uh, and there was just a lot that was bubbling away off the track between the two of them that was all being captured and i think that only adds to it they know they're constantly on they don't get time to decompress either and get away from it so um they just gone from one race to the next to the next uh the title fight swinging this way and that one minute they think they're about to become world champions the next minute the other team's got to win it uh, and they can't really ever relax and uh, i think that's just continued to build uh, and that's what's been so entertaining but it, it's meant that formula one's been kind of uh it feels like the paddock's been working at 100 mile an hour for I don't know, four or five weeks solidly now and that is partly just the build-up towards the championship climax, I guess, and the way that the season was backloaded because of COVID and we've just had so many races. But, uh, yeah, it's all kind of mixed together perfectly to keep it all so entertaining and so full-on. Uh, and it's not a complaint. I mean, it gives me plenty to write about, I guess. Um, but you are right. There was a bunch of mornings, actually, in Qatar. I went and did some other podcast recording first thing and then was heading to the track and still feeling like I was missing stuff. I got on the plane, actually, to Qatar and I was... Well, it was the Tuesday, so it was two days before we meant to even be at the track. And the Wi-Fi didn't work on the flight, and I landed to this news that Mercedes had tried to review a penalty from, or non-penalty, from Brazil. And like the days off in between aren't days off anymore either. It's just non-stop. So um, I think part of that, you mentioned that you, know, you, you kind of see the flow, the way it goes, and um, you've seen a lot of the way Formula One's been in the past. The, the outlets we now have to cover the sport, um, in terms of Twitter or doing podcasting or online means that there is 24-7 coverage and teams recognize the value in that coverage too and and, and in the different spaces uh, and what they can then put out as well. And it just means it never, we don't have the troughs anymore. We've, we've got the peaks and we've got the big interest moments and we just don't seem to have the quiet bits in between. Um, and yeah, it just, that means when there's controversy, controversy is going on 24-7. So uh, I think we're going to pretty much get it between now and the end of the year. I don't, I'd, I'd be amazed if it really slows down. Maybe this is the quietest it's going to be as we talk right now with uh, seven days till we will have to fly to Saudi Arabia. And then from that moment on, it's going to be uh, completely max chat until the end of the year. Stay with Lewis, Mercedes and Max and Red Bull. Interesting start to the year, Chris, right? With some 
vehicular rule changes, which, again, if I'm if I've read everything correctly, I mean, I know what I've seen, but a belief that the high rake uh, philosophy that Red Bull has employed for many years has been certainly favored with the regulation changes. We always expect Mercedes to produce a, a high quality car, but the significant advantage they've held in recent years appeared to be vastly narrowed. Get through the thick of the middle of the season, definitely would appear that Red Bull is hitting its technical stride with solid, great quality updates, plus this phenom from Holland <laughs> that, yeah, uh, whatever records Lewis has right now, assuming Formula One stays with 20-plus races per year, uh, I think Max is going to own most records before he retires. But nonetheless, we get to this really strong middle of the year. Max is demonstrating uh, victory, quality, race after race, taking the championship lead. We've seen Mercedes rally in the last couple of rounds. Tell me about this flow as well. Uh, we've had in recent years Red Bull push and have streaky success. We haven't seen Mercedes dominance truly challenged this hard with Max continuing to lead the world championship with two rounds to go. This is something new to the story that we haven't seen for a little while. Tell me about this flow, and do you feel like this might invert yet again you know, before we get to the end of the season and maybe have Ma uh, Max fall back to P2 if the Mercedes streak continues? Yeah, I mean, on that last point, the, the Mercedes kind of showed flashes of what it could do kind of uh, Turkey, I think, was when we really saw it. Um, incredible pace that it could have, but Lewis had a penalty there and didn't manage to come through the field. But you just saw enough from Mercedes that said, actually, this car in the right, when they get it working, it, it's really quick and uh, Red Bull will struggle. So it, it's been quite interesting. It's been a bit more like some of the fights we had in like the late 2000s, 2008, uh, 2007, between McLaren and Ferrari, where you'd have a McLaren track and a Ferrari track sort of thing. And uh, if if one team got their act together, they'd be one, two, and, and the other team would need to pick up third and fourth. And, and that would be a good result for them. And uh, over the balance of the year, it would end up as a close fight. But you didn't always get them that close together all the time on track. And at the start of this year, we had the opposite of that. That's what was so great about it. You're right, the, the Red Bull kind of philosophy was working better under the new regulations. Mercedes was taking a little while just to uh, get everything working and up to speed. And one thing that I think was overlooked a bit is it's Honda's last year in Formula One. So they've thrown everything at it with their new power unit this year. They, they were going to have a new power unit for next year when there's new regulations. Uh, then they were told they were pulling out at the end of this year. So um, they asked if they could bring all that work forward again for 2021. And they were told, yeah, go for it. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to invest to finish strongly. And, and that uh, IP will go to Red Bull anyway at the end of the year. So uh, they've gone at it. Whereas for Mercedes, they're looking longer term. They're looking at how their power unit will look for 2022 onwards. And it kind of meant the timing allowed Honda to really catch up with Mercedes and get very, very close in terms of performance. So some of the developments, I mean, we saw it in Zandvoort, um, or just before that in Spa, that, um, there was a new uh, battery that was brought in by Honda f that was used on Max's car first, and you saw a clear performance uh, gain. And, and all the Honda cars got it pretty quickly and looked very strong. Uh, and then Mercedes kind of hit back with their own kind of upgrades or uh, managing to push their engine a bit harder and, and pushing it with you know, when you introduce a new one, like we saw Lewis have in Interlagos, getting a lot of performance out of it. So uh, we had these kind of ebbs and flows start to really show up towards the latter part of the year. 
And that's why I think it's now got so tetchy is because it stopped being really close on track all the time and started actually becoming a track that suits one car or the other or one team and the other. And you get a dominant weekend from each and, it, and it's harder to take. So um, we've actually seen less, weirdly, less wheel to wheel racing. We had the big flashpoint in Brazil when Max drove Lewis off the track and it should have been a penalty or not. But Lewis was so much quicker than Max that he'd come through from the back of the field and went on to win the race comfortably. So that kind of showed that they're not quite, that the tension isn't there between the two drivers on track anymore as it was earlier in the year, but that's developed into the off track stuff with the two, two team bosses. So um, yeah, it's been a, a, an evolution even just through this season uh, in the way the battles played out, but, but it's all been set up by uh, kind of the perfect storm for Red Bull to really attack it in the final year of these regulations with Honda before Honda leave. Uh, and it's and it's just all clicked. And I think Red Bull specifically thought we've got to give this everything because next year, who knows? Like, you know, they're, they're confident in their ability to build a quick race car, but it's new regulations and there's a chance you don't get it right. Mercedes, they've got seven titles in a row to fall back on. So if they don't get it right next year, you imagine they'd get it right eventually. But, you know, if they go a couple of years without a title, people aren't going to forget how good they are. If Red Bull don't do it now and then they don't start next season strongly either, you know, that streak could well hit a decade between championships. So, um, yeah, they really had to take full advantage. And that's why uh, I think it's kind of clicked in that sense this year. You mentioned Brazil. During the broadcast, maybe around lap 52, 53, I found myself, Chris, yelling at the TV, shut up, move on, right? Yes, uh, Max, motor racing driver, did not want another motor racing driver by the name of Lewis Hamilton to pass him. So he attempted to make Lewis not pass him. They both went off the track in a safe area and rejoined. And Lewis soon thereafter took the lead, won the race. Two or three or four laps into the post lap 48, turn four, whatever it was, little incident. I was yelling at the television, at the commentators, move on, non-issue here, right? It's not a kind thing that happened, but this is motor racing. It's not uncommon. This is not the first or the one millionth time we've seen this happen. And yet, this seemingly grinds Formula One to a halt for many, many days Penalty, non-penalty, Michael Massey, why didn't you refer this for review? I don't know if this is a good thing, Chris. And that's what I want to get your, your thoughts on here. We live in an age, mostly through social media, where everything is hyper-scrutinized. The average fan thinks they know everything and will give you opinions and screen captures and break things down like CSI Sao Paulo are we losing touch with this growing big new invested audience in formula one to where one corner on one lap that proved to be insignificant in the race's outcome can get so blown out of proportion for days with wars going on online back and forth. Who's right. Who's wrong. Max's fans saying F you Lewis Lewis's fans saying F you right. Do you sense any of that? Any of that? Do you see any of that? Or is that just the state of play we're in? Buckle in. It's going to be like this for a while. It's a tough one because I fully agreed with you that the second uh, Lewis actually got past Max 
and it it became a non-issue then to me. Like the 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 big problem was going to be if Max held on and won the race, and if that happened, and you could argue that he illegally held on to his position when Lewis was going to overtake him, then that's where you had something that needed investigating or looking into. And I felt like the stewards could have probably opened that case and just said, look, you know, we'll investigate it after the race because you need to see how the race plays out. You know, was it actually going to be pivotal or not? And it turned out it wasn't. So we should have, like you say, just moved on after that point. But um, Mercedes, it shows how bitter the rivalry is right now that uh, Mercedes were wanting to kind of bring it up and say, well, hang on, that still wasn't cool. Um, you shouldn't be able to do that. And I think a lot of it stems from the way Max races and has been allowed to race, which is very, very firmly. And it means that sometimes he's right on the line. Uh, sometimes he's over it and he's been penalised, but actually not not as many times as you kind of would think from the amount of incidents he's sometimes caught up in. But I think Lewis found himself um, just maybe a bit bit shocked that in a, in a proper title fight, Max's uh, approach didn't change. At no stage previously when Max has been going wheel to wheel with Lewis, he can, or with any other driver really, he can risk it all because he was in a car that might win the odd race, but it wasn't a car that was ever going to win a title. So he was only going out for that one big result each Sunday uh, and it was only an isolated uh, attack each time. So it's like, well, you know, um, for want of a better phrase, shit or bust, it was go for it. So um, when it came to a title fight, I think Lewis thought, right, he's going to have to be a bit more cautious here, a bit more careful. There's you know, a long game to think about. And, and Max isn't like that. He just races the same way. And it was Lewis kind of having to adapt his driving and his racing style to Max. And they hadn't quite settled down, I think, uh, and sussed each other out after some of the incidents they had when you've got like Silverstone and the big crash that Max had. Monza, when they both ended up out the race and Max did get penalised. They hadn't quite worked out how to cleanly race each other this was probably in a weird way one of the cleaner ways um that they'd managed to do it you know neither of them ended up in the fence and and they raced on and and lewis eventually did get past and won so i think it was from the mercedes side of thing they kind of wanted clarity because they're still not sure how something's going to go when they go wheel to wheel with max verstappen um they have no confidence that their car's going to come out the other side of the corner but I don't think that's really on the stewards or the FIA to have to decide for them. That's down to the drivers to work out for themselves when they're on track. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's also just the point that the title race in terms of the Constructors' Championship is so tight that where Max finished, he was less than five seconds ahead of Bottas. Uh, and in Brazil, this was. So if Max got a retrospective five-second penalty for any reason, then Bottas would have been promoted to P2, and that would have been a further six-point gain or swing um, towards Mercedes in the constructors fight. So uh, that there was a, an actual sporting advantage to be had for Mercedes there. But I, I did feel like uh, the race should have been kind of, yeah, shut and done uh, there and then on Sunday evening once we'd had that actually, you know, decided on track, as you say. But it was Mercedes, the ones that came out on top, that then continued it, which surprised me. But yeah, I think we're going to have that to the end of the year. I think this has been so intense and so long. And we've had so many, you know, it's a, a 22 race season. It's the most races we've ever had in Formula One. And there's just so many examples of moments where it could have gone one way or another that these teams are absolutely desperate not to lose it because it, at different times they thought they're going to win it. And it, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? You know, they're, they're desperate not to not to lose a world championship, but they will do anything and they both will do anything kind of pushing each other to that level um, to win the thing. So uh, I don't think it's going to be the last time we hear something that seems completely overblown, but it's because someone's looking for the smallest advantage they can get. Why don't we spend the last 10 minutes or so, Chris, talking about, hey, there are other drivers. 
in Formula there are? One than Max and Lewis. I know, crazy. Kid named Lando Norris doing Lando Norris things that make McLaren happy. Granted, the last, what, five, six-ish races have been decent, but not great. Obviously have the, the growing theme. Maybe it's calming a little bit with his new teammate, Daniel Ricardo, with uh, Danny maybe not being the instantly on-form guy that they were hoping to have. We have uh, Carlos Sainz moving over to Ferrari, and I think he's given a pretty solid accounting of himself while also learning uh, Charles Leclerc is by no means an easy out. Love the the Gasly, Alonzo, Ocon goodness that's happening between them. Yuki Sonoda, great debut, stepping on various body parts afterwards, seems to be finding his way. There's a lot going on beyond the top drama and in, in motor racing themes coming out of most weekends. Tell me about some of the drivers and their developments this year. We know they're not going to be world champions, but tell me about something about some of the key players behind the top two that you're tracking or finding interesting from a thematic standpoint this year, Chris. I think you've nailed the first one there with uh, Lando Norris when you mentioned him. He's been massively impressive this year. The, the consistency he's shown, uh, his ability to get the most out of what's a very tricky McLaren drive, and we've seen that with how Daniel Ricciardo struggled. Um has just put him kind of at a level that I don't think anyone really expected him to go to. Certainly not this quickly. Like he, he was clearly a talent, but he looked like the kind of happy-go-lucky younger guy alongside Carlos Sainz that was always going to be a very good driver. But I think even in them signing Ricardo, you thought, yeah, Ricardo's going in there to be their number one race winner. Lando can learn from him and, and develop. But you never saw Lando as jumping up at this stage to be the team leader. And that's exactly what he's been this year, which has been hugely impressive. And, and there was a stage where the team thought he might even be able to beat uh, both Bottas and Perez to third in the championship, which would have been incredible to uh, to get McLaren in front of one Red Bull and one Mercedes. So um, he's definitely one that I'm keeping an eye on because I think now there's expectation around him. And, and that's why, if anything, it seems like it's fallen a little bit flat later in the year, even though it's not really his fault. He would have had a, a fourth or maybe even a podium in Qatar if he hadn't had a late puncture. So I think that's one where we'll have to see that dynamic kind of evolve over the winter and into next year with new cars. Can he adapt quickly to a totally different type of car? Can he stay that far clear ahead of Daniel and keep control of the team as the team leader? Um, But the flip side is that's fascinating to see how Ricardo gets on when he comes back next year with a new car and a kind of reset after a tough year. uh, What will he be able to do? Because he's shown that he's still got it in the sense that, you know, when when the car suited him and he was happy, he went and won in Monza and did not look troubled there at all. He looked like, you know, a seasoned race winner that he is. So that's still all in there. It's just not been able to come out that regularly this season. So I think that's probably where the most fascinating fight is. Um, Ferrari had, had set with their two drivers. I've been so impressed with what Carlos Sainz has done this year. Um, you always knew he was good, but could never quite tell how good because he never got long enough in one team to do something until he went to McLaren. Uh, and even then, because Lando was a rookie, you were like, well, he's good, but again, how good? Uh, and then going alongside Charles Leclerc, he's proven just how good he is, and and he's pretty much on the clerk's level. So the two of them together have been fantastic. They've not really had any run-ins. Uh, they've nearly matched each other's points total, and that's been like the basis for Ferrari getting third in the constructors this year. So um, some really exciting lineups there. Uh, and as you say, Pierre Gasly has gone to a complete another level um, when he's gone back to AlphaTauri and proven Red Bull 
uh, wrong, I guess, in the sense that they dropped him and nearly wrote him off. And then he said, look, there's no way you can drop me. You can't get rid of me because I'm, I'm too good. Like I deserve to be in that top seat. Whether he'll ever get in there is another matter, but he he's performed at such a high level himself uh, and he's had real, really high peaks. The moments that Red Bull will look for, the, the, the standout qualifying laps. He's had a podium again this year in Baku. Uh, the big ones that kind of say, um, this guy could win us races in future. So um, that's really impressive because not many drivers get that opportunity to do that, especially in the Red Bull system. Uh, so yeah, he, he's another one that's kind of fascinating to see. I'd kind of like to fast forward 10 years and go, did Gasly ever make it back? You know, mm. Did it come together for him? Where did he go? So that's going to be really cool. That one will run and run. So, uh, But like you said, there's just so many. I mean, we didn't even mention Aston Martin in, in that little rundown. And you know, they're trying to take the paddock by storm. They're signing everyone and anyone they can get. They signed the chief aerodynamicist from Mercedes today that they'll get when his gardening leave ends. Um, they've got the head of aero from Red Bull joining them. They've got the former chief engineer from Alfa Romeo coming. They've got huge names. Martin Wishmark. What? No, no, I'll try that again. Martin Whitmarsh has just gone in there. So, I mean, the infrastructure that Aston are going to have uh, is pretty scary. So, I mean, a lot of it is really nicely set up. And to be honest, a, a big part of it that's that's a worry is the reset we've got next year. Because the whole plan is for these rules and new cars to make the racing better, to let drivers fight closer. And we've we've got a taste of it now. We've had some great racing up and down the field that's been fantastic to watch. We've seen real talents coming through. But if we then get a massive field spread under new regulations next year, it's going to feel like a huge anticlimax. So I think everyone's just really hoping that pretty much every team does a good job and we have a close field. Because if we don't get that, um, you're going to feel really sorry for some guys that have shown how good they are and then really won't get a chance to score any big results for a while. Why don't we do a little bit of rapid fire to close here, Chris, on a variety of things that amuse me. I don't know if they amuse you, but you speak about fast forwarding. I cannot wait for the new season to start and to see young George Russell <laughs> strapped in alongside Lewis Hamilton. No disrespect to uh, to Lewis's Finnish teammate, young Mr. Botas, but I think the kind of heat that George should be able to bring should rival, if not exceed, what Rosberg put on uh, Lewis at Mercedes. Tell me about that, right? We love seeing these individual stars just skyrocket. I love even more when you have this, oh, there's this young kid coming to try and take your lunch and take everything you have, and guess what? It's your teammate. Valtteri hasn't been able to do that. What do you think about George next year? Do you think Lewis could be more uncomfortable than maybe ever in his time at Mercedes? I think... In a, in a way, yes, because he's coming to the end of his time at Mercedes. You know, the, the guy's into his mid to late 30s. He's not going to be around forever. And I think the the arrival of George is definitely a sign of when Lewis leaves, George is lined up to kind of lead the team. And what will be fascinating is how Lewis responds to that, knowing, well, this is the guy that's meant to usurp you and kind of almost push you out. You know, once you stop performing against this guy, that's the time that they're going to say, OK, Lewis Hamilton is run his course in Formula One, uh, if that ever happens, because we've seen Fernando Alonso recently show that, you know, you can be racing right up there into your early 40s. But from George's perspective, I'm fascinated to see how patient he can stay because he doesn't need to do what Rosberg did. He doesn't need to go and basically burn every bridge to beat Lewis and find every dirty trick in the book. And um, I, I don't think Nico ever crossed any lines in, the, in any way that Lewis didn't, but he knew he had to give absolutely everything and throw everything at it in one go, whoever got caught up in it. 
And and that's how he won his title. And then he had to walk away from it because it took so much. George doesn't need to do that. He kind of needs to bide his time until Lewis moves on um, and prove that he's the guy to then take over from Lewis. But racing drivers are not patient. I mean, you, you try telling George Russell two, three races into next year when he feels close to Lewis and that he can maybe really fight him, um, that he should cede to him or he should just, you know, keep the peace if he sees an opportunity to fight for a championship. It's never going to happen. So um, that's going to be really, really interesting to see kind of how that dynamic um, evolves because it will start off all, all pally. They'll all be best friends. Uh, and George will want to be Lewis's best friend as well. He, he's a big fan of Lewis and he'll want to learn from him. But very quickly, he'll realize that he can't really be like that if he wants to, to win. Um, Valtteri kind of had to play that game because he was only ever on one-year deals and, and they never really put their faith in him and said to him, you know, you can prove yourself as a team leader here. Uh, his role was never that role, but George has that coming up. So it's whether he can wait it out or if he feels he can or if he takes the confidence from the fact that the team has put that faith in him and goes, well, then um, I can get my elbows out and I can take control of the team right here, right now, and, and they'll back me. So, um, yeah, that's going to be very exciting. And I, I do think George will do a really good job against Lewis. I think he'll have his off days. I think there'll be times where I don't think people will question him, but where he's, he's still quite young. You look at someone like Valtteri, he'd impressed at Williams as well before he went in. It's not easy to step up, however experienced you are, into a top, top team and that pressure um, when more experienced drivers have had the team built around them for years uh, and to find 100% every week. And, and Sergio Perez has shown it this year. There's been times that he's really struggled when nobody really thought he'd struggled that much uh, and that's just because the environment is so so different so it'll take George a little while to get up to speed in that sense but um, yeah it will be it'll be really fascinating to see how hard he fights Lewis on track when when those moments happen um, and if he's allowed to it'd be great if Mercedes say yeah you guys you work out who's number one between the two of you whereas they never really afforded Valtteri that uh, courtesy I think over eagerness is going to end up being the thing that George has to manage so I can't wait why don't we uh, why don't we wrap on two U.S. theme topics? Hey, you and I aren't having to dedicate extraordinary amounts of time chasing this Andretti Salver, <laughs> you name it, thing. Granted, Michael isn't done, right? This wasn't his one shot; didn't pan out. He he's just fallen away into the shadows, upset and uh, embarrassed. Not the case at all. This did not work out. He has certainly not closed the door on trying to acquire a controlling interest, if not full ownership of a Formula One team. How, f I don't know, fun is the word, but it's a little bit out of left field when you get to chase something where you're like, oh, well, that, that is truly new. How fun was that? How happy are you that you can kind of get back to the normal stuff you need to report on? Uh, but also, are you still keeping your ear out on where Michael might be uh, poking around to see uh, if and where he can get in. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, a really cool one. I remember you sort of saying, look, what can you find out about this? And there was some interesting stuff that came out of it in terms of the number of teams he'd spoken to or been in touch with and, and numbers that had flown around and uh, business models that they'd been looking at. And it, it showed just kind of how um, open Michael was to different ways of getting into Formula One. But... I, I didn't expect Sauber to be the team he went for. And then it gets very tricky as well because the ownership structure is a bit different there. And 
it was a shareholder issue on the whole that we're discussing with Michael rather than, you know, sort of team on the ground that you can chat to. So there was a lot of people that were actually in the dark. I remember going to some people from Alpha who um, would have been some of the first to know. Uh, I think it was probably about Zambot time and it was completely news to them. They were like, not heard anything about that. All right, interesting. You know, thanks for flagging it, but we haven't heard anything. And it, it almost felt like I was keeping them in the loop for a while until they suddenly went, yeah, actually, you know, we're hearing, starting to hear things now. So, um, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. It was a, a tricky one um, because, again, yeah, like you say, you're trying to balance that with um, chasing what Wolf and Horner have thrown at each other that day and um, whether actually there had been cards on track and what happened there. But um, with COVID protocols as well, there was only so much access we could get. We weren't allowed in motorhomes to go and pester people that easily. You couldn't have that many secret meetings and stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it made it all quite a challenge, but a fun one. And, yeah, definitely saw how serious Michael is about trying to make this happen Um how close he got and and the way that they will kind of if the deal's not right they will not push ahead with it and i don't think it was just from his side that that then fell through but it was clearly um areas that they weren't totally happy with and you know if, if you're going to invest the sort of money you need to invest to to have a controlling stake in a formula one team you want to be happy with what you're going to end up with so um i think we might get another couple of these um, over the next year or so where Michael will keep looking at it and and we'll keep sort of investigating what might work uh, with different teams. But there's there's 10 teams on the grid right now that all think their value is going through the roof. Um, there's huge interest in F1. We've got the new regulations next year and we don't know how they're going to pan out. Um, we've got the Concord Agreement that has made them all worth so much because you've got to pay $200 million to come in otherwise if you want to be a new team. So they're all kind of sitting on it going... Yeah, we can wait now. We can we can wait for someone to come and pay a silly amount of money if they want to buy into our team. And I think maybe over the next eighteen to twenty four months that'll start to quieten down, and and they'll see where they've got to in terms of what the value is. But uh, it won't just keep going up forever if nobody ever sells. You, you know, someone's going to need to actually cash in to show what the value is. So um, yeah, the opportunities will come up, but I don't think there'll be that many of them that quickly. So it's it was a shame it never quite came together. It it, it was exciting kind of hearing. Yeah, how close someone like Colton would have been great in Formula One. And even if we'd just seen him do a practice session in Austin, that would have just been uh, a bit of hype for the US that would have been cool to see. So we, we had so many cool storylines around that that were tempting us, but never quite came together that I think, you know, for the people involved, they must they must have felt um, pretty excited by the prospect. And, and that won't have gone away just because it didn't happen this time around. So, uh, yes, yeah, certainly not going to be the last we hear about it, I don't think. Final item. Kid, you and I are fond of big personality, big talent, Pato Award. If you believe the rumors on the interwebs, Zach Brown has a secret plan to replace Danny Ricardo with him. Uh, wouldn't say that that is necessarily the case, but if Colton's not going to be the first from IndyCar in a long while to make it into F1, uh, and again, I'm talking about coming from IndyCar to F1, not someone like Rossi, who was on the European open wheel train, got to F1, then came to IndyCar. But talking about someone coming out of our domestic series here, since it looks like Colton might not be the first, where do you rate Pato? Obviously doing the uh, the young driver's test here, uh, uh, not too uh, long from now, but do you think he might be a realistic person if not to be on the full-time grid, at least to be integrated somehow into McLaren's F1 program and doing the odd uh, FP1s and whatnot, where do you rate our chances with a uh, young Mr. O'Ward? 
Yeah, I think he's number one pick. I, I think it's the most likely thing to happen because, as you point out, you know, McLaren are the only team that have a Formula One team and an IndyCar team that have that crossover potential with ease. And Pato is someone that Zach rates so highly and, and uh, he, he likes his personality, he likes his, his ability. He just likes like his whole package that would work in F1 as much as it does work in IndyCar. And I think they want success in IndyCar first, um, but Pato wants to go and win the 500, win the IndyCar championship, and then go and race in F1. And Zach's a dreamer like that. He'll be like, absolutely. If you go and do those things, I'm moving you over to F1 when the chance comes. Uh, I don't think it would be as uh, brunt as kicking a driver out for him. I think it would be if the stars aligned with X contract ends at this time and, and Pato's available and has achieved what they want him to achieve in IndyCar, or the move at least won't hurt the IndyCar team. But um, yeah, I think you know, getting a young driver test is a big show of uh, faith in him and saying, look, we want to know what he can do in an F1 car. We want to give him the experience he can get because there's not many opportunities to drive the current cars. Um, it will be the last outing for this generation of cars, so it'll only be limited use, but it will give a give McLaren a good benchmark for what Pato can do. And you know, he gets on well with Lando. They talk a lot. They they kind of swap stories and information. And I think that um, Pato will be absorbing all of that stuff. So I think he's probably best placed to be able to make that transition. I know Colton and Lando went back quite a long way as well with their Carlin days, but um, I think for Colton, it would have been, there'd have been a lot of weight on his shoulders as the American guy to go and race in F1. Uh, and whereas Pato is kind of a little bit more integrated because he had the, the sort of stop start Red Bull year, but he's had the interest before. He's now part of a team that has an F1 team uh, within it. So yeah, he's, he's definitely best place. And I, to be honest, I'd be surprised if we get to the end of Pato Awards career and at some point he hasn't started a Formula One race. I think that's kind of, that's in his career plan. I think it's in Zach Brown's career plan for him. Um, so yeah, I think he's the one to watch on, on how that goes. And it's more likely to happen if he has a really big year in IndyCar next year. If McLaren can kind of be satisfied with what they're doing with him in IndyCar and be ready to look at what's next, then I think he's got a really good chance of moving over in the next three, four years. Uh, if it's maybe even shorter than that. But if it's... Uh, if it's a tough year or you know the progress doesn't continue in IndyCar, I don't think um, they'll cut that project short with him uh, in the US just to put him in an F1 car. Your dog and agrees dog as agrees. well. I mean, yeah, look, if you yeah. got the dog agreeing, then you're all set. Snoop Medley Med, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for uh, getting us smarter as we wind down the F1 season here. As always, a huge thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting all we do. Outside of racer.com, where can folks follow the Snoop Medley Med experience when you are on the ground being a proper Formula One reporter? Uh, well, if they are in the Middle East for the next two race weekends, they can follow me on NBC Action doing some TV stuff. Uh, they can follow me on Formula1.com and on Motorsport Magazine. Uh, and they can also get me on the Twitter uh, at Chris Medlin F1, um, where I've just been chasing numbers basically for the last few weeks. So, um, yeah. And, and also I have my own little podcast called the pad hoc with two friends of mine, Nate Saunders and Lawrence Barreto, um, within the formula one paddock. We just, we just take the piss really out of the sport. Um, kind of what you were hinting at really when, when you're like this thing frustrates me, just get on with the racing. Yeah. We, we break it down a bit like that sometimes. So don't expect anything serious on that front. It won't make you any smarter. It will make you pass. However long time the podcast lasts for follow our man, at Chris Medlin F1. Did I get that correctly? Or C Medlin? Chris Medlin, full name? 
F1, I was Chris Medland F1, yeah. I kind of... Full name would be Christopher. My mother would, would hate me for not pointing that out. But yeah, I, I Chris Medland F1. Past halfway through your answer, so I apologize. <laughs> Follow him there. Get the new podcast. Get all the hot words coming off of his keyboard. He's truly become uh, Formula One's top gossip columnist. So uh, you got to love it. Stu Medley Med, thank you, brother. Look forward to speaking soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.